Good morning. Do you know what's special about next Sunday? Pentecost Sunday. Where did you hear that? Praise God. It is, it is Pentecost Sunday coming up, and uh, we will be preparing our hearts for that. We don't know what will, will take place, but we believe that Pentecost Sunday is a day for us to prepare our hearts for the filling of the Holy Spirit more and more. Yeah? He not only fills us up on a particular day, on a particular moment in time, but He wants to fill us even now. Yeah? So, in some ways, Pentecost Sunday is just another day, but it helps us to remember that the Lord is here to fill us and He's given us of, our, of His Spirit without measure. I'd like to share with you about something that the Lord places upon my heart, I believe, uh, on Tuesday. Um, and it has to do with something that's a bit co- complex to actually describe. So I'm going to try my best. It has to do with hearing deeply from God. Hearing deeply from God. We can hear something, but how do we hear deeply to such an extent that what we hear changes our life? How do we get past hearing something that only goes into our head and through our ears? How do we hear so intensively that that hearing becomes an encounter with that thing that we have heard and changes us, right? To give you an example, I thought of a few things. Um, I've heard about Bible training schools in the third world, and I was part of one too. And there was a time in which I was part of a number of people, a a group of people, about 12 of us, who were in training. And it was a very Spartan kind of training. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the things that we were to train, train for is for this particular event in which we would, all of us, each of us go our separate ways to hold special evangelistic miracle services in the country. So all of us would go with our little teams. And so before we went, all of us were quite, uh, quite anxious about what will turn out. Yeah, we were very anxious about that because the question is always like, what happens if nothing takes place, right? If we tell people that God is a God who's real and He heals and He does all things and nothing happens. And so the one who was training us said, we're going to listen to a series of tapes, a set of tapes that, you know, in those days, we had cassette tapes. And those cassette tapes were very strange things. They had these moodly things that go run, run, round. I know it's, it's strange, yes. But we were going to, the only resource that we had from our training school was these, this set of tapes by a man by the name of Maurice Cirillo, who had gone to many, many different parts of the, of the world and seen tremendous miracles taking place. So many miracles that it was not uncommon in one of his rallies in Africa to see over a sea of thousands suddenly waves of healing taking place in the, congreg- in, the, in the crowd. Suddenly, a whole slew of people who, could, who were blind, who could not see, suddenly could see. And they would scream because for the first time there would be light and things like that. And God would turn up in, that, in a great way. And I said, great, that's, that's good material. <laughs> I'm going to need it. And another one of the, 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 the speakers on that tape series was a man by the name of T.L. Osborne. Anyone heard of him, T.L. Osborne? Not many of us come from a Pentecostal tradition. T.L. Osborne 
would call up this group of people who are deaf, and he would call for all the deaf people, and the deaf, deaf people would come up, and he would line them up, and then he would pray a very simple prayer. He says, I'm going to pray for you, and you, after that, I will ask you whether you can hear. Of course, this was translated to them because they couldn't hear. And he would pray for them, a very simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have carried your, their, sin, their sins and their, their sicknesses upon yourself on the cross, something like that, and please heal them now. No shouting, nothing. And all of them would like be agitated because they can suddenly hear. And he would just very calmly ask them, what happened? What happened? And there would, these things would happen. And so I could see that these things were real and subsequent to that, I've actually seen these things happen as well. But at that point of time, I think I was maybe 21 or 22 years old. I had heard about these things and now my pastor was going to send me and 11 others out to the, to the, to the boonies and we're going to have this rallies. We didn't know how many people were going to come, but we were going to say, Jesus saves, Jesus heals, and Jesus delivers. That's how we did it before. And uh, so during that one week that we had in training, there was a way in which how we listened to those tapes really mattered a lot, right? Because at that time, I was thinking these tapes are standing between me and utter embarrassment. Okay, utter red-facedness. And so I could see my 11 colleagues were also feeling the same way. And so they played the tapes, okay? They played the tapes. And we all listened very differently. Very differently. I'm not going to talk about myself now. Now I'm going to go incognito and be anonymous. But we saw that each one of these 12 people had different results, different outcomes, different feelings, even after listening to the tape. I even heard one person said, nothing special, I know this stuff. Another person said, wow. Another person was bowing down, kneeling down, and just weeping. And I, see, I saw that each one of us were hearing the tapes differently. And each one of us had different outcomes. Now, you have to give, give uh, allowance for the fact that every place is different, and so you really can't judge it by the, the, the physical outcomes. But I did see different outcomes, and that, I believe, had to do with how deeply we heard what was being spoken. We were all hearing the same thing, but we all heard differently. Right? During the charismatic... Uh, movement in Malaysia, my parents had been very, very dry for many, many years, very faithful Christians. I grew up in a Christian home, and they were righteous, integrous, honest um, um, parents and Christians, highly respected. We were Plymouth brethren, and... Um, but very dry. So Christianity was, was kind of a chore for all of us. You know, it was not re- very fun. We went to prayer meetings every Wednesday, but we were forced to, to go to prayer meetings. And prayer meetings were just very, very boring. Yeah, very, very boring. And uh, we would just be... I, would, I remember thinking, I'm so happy Wednesday. It's Wednesday night and it's over. And there'll be one week before I have to go for another prayer meeting. But my parents went faithfully faithfully, and they prayed. They prayed. But when the charismatic movement came, my parents were very intrigued by the fact that this God that they had been serving in a very dry way, very arduous way, arduous way, was actually real. But real not only in heaven, but real on earth as well. And he could be involved in the affairs of life. 
And after a struggle, they just went for it. They just went for it. They just went for every meeting that they could go. And they would, they would come back really excited. I was sitting for my exams, my final exams in college. And I also was dry. And I would listen to them. And I had never seen my parents excited about anything except this. But I could see there was something being liberated out of them. You know what I mean? Something was li- being liberated even as they were seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And horror of horrors. I saw them actually hugging people. Now, my parents never hug. Never hug us, never hug other people. Whenever my, my mom comes to me, he'll just pat me on the shoulder. That was good. I would feel the love. I didn't feel that I needed to be hugged. In fact, I was horrified when I saw that, when my mom decided to hug me, and I thought, <laughs> something was happening in them. But I, I watched how my father was listening to these speakers, right? Listening to these speakers, and he was, I think in his soul, he was salivating. The, the Holy Spirit moved in my family, you know. I have, four, I have three siblings. He moved and he touched every one of them. And my parents were changed, completely changed. But there's something about the way in which from the time they were, they were, they were touched by God and filled with the Holy Spirit till the time my, my father passed away at 83, I think he was filled by this, filled, he had this, this, this tremendous experience at the age of about 50, 55 or so, something like 50, 54, 55. And until the time that he was, he, he passed away in 83, my mom is about coming up to 90, I saw they were never the same again. When they prayed, when they worshiped in church, you know, it's one thing for the younger people to be praising God and just like whooping it up and all with God and all that. But my parents, right up to the, the, the time he was 83, he was filled with expressiveness towards God. He's very, very conservative, very, very, very uh, um, staid man. But every time I go back home to Malaysia and FGA, I'd see them sitting on their corner. I would sit here, they would be sitting on the corner. And you would see they are totally wrapped. When you see older people just wrapped in God, you know there's something real. Something happened to them. There was something that was happening to the, their listening to and hearing from all the messages that were coming from the, from the pulpit that was different from what other people were experiencing. You know, There's a certain way in which they listened and they hungered and they received that I feel was a key to them being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, some people say, well, you're filled with the Spirit if you speak in tongues, or you do this, or you have the joy of the Lord. And I can tell you something. The evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, is to, to, my, to me, from what I've seen on my parents, is completely, radically different from all that. It's not reduced to one thing like speaking in tongues, or, or, um, or I, I don't know what it is, freedom in worship. It was a total thing. They became really simple. And God would seem to work. And many of you know, I've shared this with you, they started the church in our house. And the church just grew and grew and grew. They never went for any church planting uh, seminars at all. Before long, people from Fuller were flying in to try to interview my dad about how his church did so well in a Muslim country. And my poor dad, he didn't know what to say. Now, he's not uneducated. He was a professor. He was, a, he was the dean of education in the University of Malaya. He had gone to study in, in, you know, in the University of London. But when these great missiologists would come and try to interview him, coming all the way from America, they would try to get stuff out of him. And he didn't know what to say. <laughs> my poor dad. I think now he knows, but, but that was, that, those are the days. But there was something about him. One day, um, pro, well, a professor from Fuller, Bobby Clinton, many of you know him, he's an 
expert in leadership, um, came and did a seminar in, uh, in, uh, in KL for many, many churches. And so many churches had come and uh, leaders from different churches. And so he noticed that many of the leaders were very deferential to this older, very quiet man who would sit in the corner and just listen. But he noticed how he listened, right? Notice how this, this older gentleman, who was my dad, of course, listened. And so he asked these people, who is this person? Why is everybody so deferential to him? Oh, that's Dr. Cole. Um, and hardly asked any questions, just kept quiet and listened, you know? There's something about listening that struck me, that changed him. Every time I would go into that room as a, as a young guy to get something or other, I'll see that they were. My mom and my dad were there. They were just praying up a storm, just praying in the Spirit right now. Just praying. Every time I go into the room, I see them praying in the Spirit. Something about, there's something about the way we receive things that are out there available to everybody that has a differential in how receiving is happening. So I, I've been thinking about how do, how do I listen to things? What makes me listen harder or listen more intensively and receive more and what doesn't, yeah? Because I know what it is to not really be listening, but just sort of giving lip service, right? But I remember in my own life, when I needed to hear something, I needed to hear something to such an extent that I was convinced about what I was hearing. Have you had that? Like that you are loved. You have to hear it from your spouse, or you have to hear it from your parent, something. You just need to hear something in a certain way that makes you somehow receive, believe, and internalize the fact that you are loved. So I had known, I ran John 3.16 like a good old Plymouth brethren, very good at Scripture, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him that believeth, believeth in him, that's King James, that's a real translation, would not perish but have everlasting life. But I didn't know it. I didn't know it. I didn't know that I was really loved by God. I wanted to know it. I wanted to be sure that God loved me, but I didn't know it, know that I knew that, know that, know, know, know that God loved me. I did not know it. And so, because of the fact that I was hungering to know something, something about the fact that I am loved, I would listen in a certain way. And I did that for several years. And still, couldn't feel it. Couldn't feel it. But I know what it is to come to a place where I have to hear something and know it so well that that thing that I know changes me. Don't you think? Don't you think that's what we Christians need? I was convinced that God exists. I was convinced that there was no other, there's no other way of thinking about the universe other than the fact that there is a personal, infinite God. For me to know that if I believe anything else, it's only despair. It's only random chance and despair meaninglessness. But I didn't know whether this God who is infinite and personal and says all the begotten son stuff really loved me. And I find that sometimes we need to have a, a way of listening that convinces us. Don't you think? I think I was listening for something, something in the words, something in the tone of voice that would tell me I'm really accepted. I'm really accepted. And until that happened, 
it would just be something in my head, but I couldn't, I couldn't take it to the bank, you know? And that day actually did happen one day. It was very small. Isaiah 40, 43, during my devotions, it just came upon me. Isaiah 43, I turned to it. And I've shared this with you before. For you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I've read that before. But today, it spoke to me. And I've never doubted the love of God since then. So that being, that hearing was actually a, the, depo, a, a, the deposit of that love. May I say to you that God speaks, and when God speaks, His words are not like any other words. His words are the actuality of what He's saying. All of us speak words that point to a reality. If I say door, I mean, I'm saying door, but it's signifying the door. Does that make sense? What I'm saying is not a door. My words are not a door. I can say toilet, but I will be no, there will be no relief from that. Okay? And, but when God speaks, the thing that He speaks is the thing. That is the meaning of the word dabar, the word in the Old Testament in Hebrew. Okay? Something happened. When John Wesley was traveling by sea to Georgia, he encountered a terrible storm, a terrible storm on, uh, on the way there. And he was scared out of his skin, okay? Because the, the boat was going up and down and up and down. And he prayed to God and somehow still felt the fear. And then he looked aside and he saw this group of Moravian Christians. And they were singing up a storm. <laughs> Don't, sorry for the unintended pun. They were singing up a storm and they had what he called the peace of God that passes all understanding. He said, I... He says that at that time I knew I did not have an assurance of faith. I had the knowledge of faith, you know, but I was not, did not have the assurance of faith. Finally, we sing hymns here. And the hymns that we sing, when I was a child, I hated singing them. I always rather the, the more contemporary song. But the, sings, the, the hymns that I used to sing meant nothing to me. Yeah, meant nothing to me. In our church, we sing hymns too. We sing other stuff as well, but we sing hymns too. And when you sing these hymns, some of you will sing the hymns and it has deep, deep moving significance to you. I am really waiting to teach you one of the hymns of Charles Wesley. It's called, My God I Know, I Feel Thee Mine. I will not quit my claim till all I have is lost in thine and all renewed I am. The reason why I'm waiting, I'm looking forward to the day we can sing this song, song together is because it is 36 verses long. 36 verses long. And we used to sing it in Malaysia, in a small town called Malacca, where most people could not speak English that well, but who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we will sing it. And we will sing it. When we come to verse 32, we would mount up with strength. We would mount up with strength because the, 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 the hymn accumulates in power. <laughs> Hallelujah. Got to say that, man. Hallelujah. And we would always say, you've got to have a lot of stamina to sing that hymn. We are talking about a phenomenon that has to do with being filled or receiving from God or hearing from God intensively. 
yeah, intensively. So how does that happen? And what prevents us from experiencing this? What hinders us from having that kind of hunger that results in a certain kind of hearing, a certain kind of receiving, right? And so let's have a look at Psalm 42. I would particularly like to, um, to focus on two issues, the issue of spiritual hunger and uh, what we've been speaking about and about how the light of God can actually penetrate us. There's, there's, a, there's a human analogy to that uh, in one of the things that uh, Emerson said. He's talking about reading books, right? You know, the kind of reading that we have. Why is it some readers get more out of it and how some, peop- some readers can read lots, copious amounts of books and still not get anything much out of it? Tis the good reader that makes the good book. In every book, he finds passages which seem confidences or asides hidden from all else and unmistakably meant for his ear. The prophet of books is according to the sensibility of the reader. The profoundest thought or passion sleeps as in a mine until it is discovered by an equal mind and heart. That's on, that's on, a, on a parallel, secular, physical level. Yeah, non-spiritual level. But there's, you get the point. You get the analogy from the point. And uh, let, let's, let's read uh, Psalm 42 before we digress. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day along, Where is your God? While they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember. And I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me or disquieted? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. This is a very well-known psalm, isn't it? And it talks about the search and the hunger and the thirsting of the psalmist for God. The psalmist has experienced God before. He has something to remember so that his thirst and hunger for God, his despair, is mitigated by the fact that he has had an experience of God before. So I thought it would be good for us to just kind of walk through parts of this psalm uh, as we look at it. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. And the word for, for, for pant, arag, is the, literally the, the word for the, the lifting of the neck of an animal. The raising or lifting or pointing of the neck of the animal. My soul points 
my horn stretches up my, my soul like a neck, the neck of an animal points out to you. And the word for thirst is the same. It's like not the thirst in the throat, it's the thirst of the neck. Longing for God, looking for, the, for, for God. In the summer, the, most of the streams are dry. And it's the expression for a deer that has come to the stream. And the stream is dry. And so it's a certain physical action that the deer has towards water that is not actually quite here. So the pointing of the neck is beyond what is here, what's at present. What, you, what, you have, what the deer has at present is just a dry stream. The thirsting is the thirsting that comes from the fact that there is no water here. But the, thir- but the thirsting, a rug, has to do with the, the stretching of the neck towards beyond this place, but towards where there's water. Sprinters are like that as well. Because I, you know, I used to be very, very uh, excited by, by the sprint events, you know. I was not a sprinter myself. But uh, there was a person who um, f- was from Malaysia who for the first time made it to the, final, the finals of the Olympics in uh, Mexico City in 1968. His name was Mani Jacobis and he became a, a, a doctor. But he was a sprinter as well. And one of the reports that sits, said that he, even though he didn't win the, the final, had the best style because of the fact that his pointing of his nose and all that was so distinctive that even though he was not as strong as the other, the, the other sprinters, even though, you know, coming from Malaysia, he didn't have all the special technology and the food and all that in the, in the 60s, he had the best technique. There's something about seeking for God and searching for God that points our heart, our soul, the whole of our body is pointed in respect of the nose or the, or the, or the, or the neck. Yeah? There's something about it that, that gets in line with what um, the whole of our own being is, is for. It is almost as if the, the psalmist is saying, in order for us to be able to hear and to receive from God, the whole of our being has been pointed towards God. That's how listening happens, right? Because most of us listen, listen in a sort of multitasking way. Right? But uh, with God, you can't multitask. You have to be totally devoted to, to it. You can't just come and go. You have to be totally devoted to it. And I found that there are certain traditions, certain Jewish traditions and Leora will probably be able to tell me, tell me more, tell you more about this, in which there is a way in which the whole body is geared towards seeking God. And the word that's used is the word devaining. Devaining. Have you ever seen people pray like this? You see the Jewish rabbis? Davening, thank you. Where are you, Leora? Oh, that, okay. Thank you, Leora. I was counting on the fact that you're going to be around. Davening. You go to places like Ethiopia, you go to places that are very strong in, in, in prayer, and you see they're all, the whole crowd is like davening, davening, davening. Because there's something about it that cuts off the distraction and gets you into a certain rhythm. A rhythm that you cognitively don't fully understand, but, but brings your whole being into some kind of repetitive flow. And so, talks about the position of our body even, our whole being, with respect to God. When shall I come, verse 2, and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? My tears have been my food day and night. I've been uh, struck by um, a video that I saw, by, and, and it, and someone who used to be in marketing uh, said this to me, uh, said this in the video, uh, that struck me. What she said was this. She was a children's ministry teacher. Children's ministry teacher. She says, I used to be in marketing. In marketing, we do, what we do is this. 
we realize that very simply there are real needs and there are felt needs. In order for us to market, we have to often focus on the felt needs because most people are not in touch with their real needs. But if they can be in touch with their felt needs, we can somehow do the marketing in such a way that the felt needs are stirred up so that it looks like we are not only meeting the real needs, but we're meeting the felt needs. And she said that she used to be, she, was, uh, she still is in children's ministry. And she said the, the, the problem is that a lot of times we are going for the felt needs. The felt needs are not necessarily the needs that we have. The felt needs are the needs that we have often because we are psychological man, you know, Philip Reefer came up with this idea that we are a, 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 a culture of therapeutic, a therapeutic culture. And he, he came up with this phrase, psychological man, that who we are has become who we are psychologically. It's almost as if the, the view of ourselves, our, our own identity, is split between the psychological and the, and the, and the physical and the psychological is the real self. Yeah, the real self. And so, so she was saying, in marketing, we learn what the psychological needs of these, these people are. And if we can catch hold of that more um, superficial need, which is intense, it is driving, we can catch them. We can catch them. And said, I, we, did, we tended to do that in our church ministry. And as a result of that, when I look back after 20 years, she said, most of them have a good life. They're good people. But almost none of them have remained in the church because God isn't real to them. Because their diet is filled with felt need stuff. Felt need stuff. I'll give you an example. I think I've shared this before. Some years ago, I was listening to the radio as I drove my children to school, and there was always this, this advertisement for Lexus. Okay, for Lexus. And they made a distinction by saying this. Most of us buy a car because of our need for motion. But we satisfy your need for emotion. That's why you buy a Lexus. You see the point. The point is that the felt need is for emotion. The real need is for a car for motion. But we have that all the time, right? And so there's a way in which hunger for God is, is, is reduced when we have filled our stomach with candy. We are looking for God. But our felt need often is for recognition, for ourselves to feel good about ourselves. And the where and where do we get that from? We get it from each other. We get it from other people respecting us, admiring us, thinking we are special, and, and for many of us, thinking that we are different. Some people will go to the extreme to become so different that it becomes bizarre. Because their sense of self, it comes from other people. And so the felt need is for other people to reflect back to you your identity. How good you are. How valuable you are. How special you are. And because of that, the felt need in community is always a need for someone else to reflect back to you. Remember what the, Scott was speaking about. Reflect to, be out, out, to you out of their own color who you are. And we have come to a point where that, that we, we, we've begun to realize that felt needs have a driving force. They're much more immediate. They're much more, they're, they're much more insistent than real needs. 
real needs often move in a, in a much more, much less urgent way. There is something different about the feeling of a real need. The need to be healthy or the need to, you know, to know God. Duffin doesn't feel that urgent. But the need to get out of depression because of the fact we have a very, very shameful um, uh, view of ourselves is urgent. And it's driven by pain as well. And what happens is this. When we fill ourselves with an obsession with external things that can be reflected back to us, whether it's style, it's fashion, it's good looks, it is, it's special affirmation, it's praise, or it is people looking at you, or people admiring you, or people saying things of you that are special. What happens is that that hunger for that fills us up our soul to such an extent that we have no hunger for God because our hunger is all taken up by the hunger for the immediate needs, for, for the felt needs. Amen? And if you're a church that, that focuses on felt needs, then what can happen is that you develop a spiritual sickness in which there is no hunger for God. But as a hunger for the church to be everything that God is supposed to be. But, in, but what God wants to do is to set us up towards Him so that in His light we see light, so that the light comes not from each other, but from heaven from our devotions, from listening to God, from responding to the, to the, the stress and the distress, the where is thy God, where is your God kind of question, by going towards God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just saying, Holy Spirit, come. It is emptying ourselves of the diseased self the diseased psychological self's um, um, insistences. So Philip Reeve is, I believe, right when he talks about psychological men. Our identity is in there, but the problem is, is that in our psychology, we are diseased. And our psychology will not necessarily take us to the truth. It will give us indications of that because, you see, our felt needs often are not the needs itself, but they indicate our real needs. They indicate our need for God. C.S. Lewis says that all sin can be reduced back to a certain thing that in our hearts longs for God. It's just been mis misdirected. I long for community, I long for relationships, I long for, I long for beauty, I longing for significance, I longing for usefulness, I longing for, for meaning and all that. We just sublimate it into, uh, I'm using the wrong word, we, we direct it into people outside. So we, so we, we develop a, an image of ourselves that is the composite of many other reflections from people upon ourselves. We don't even know who we are. We don't even know what we are called to hmm, as a result of that. May I suggest to you that... Um, the psalmist is right and he says, my tears have been my food day and night. What he's saying is this, my tears, though, my, my, my prayer, my desire, my longing, my, my, my understanding, my feeling of my, my, my lack, my need, they actually feed me. They feed me. They bring me to a place where I am going beyond the, um, the felt need, so to speak of the surface, yeah? And so I want to put it to you that there are times in which we experience real need in our, heart, in our soul, real pain, real hurt, real uh, desire, and that's, that's that, and, and real shame or, or questions that our friends and loved ones ask us, where's your God? How come your God allowed that to happen? What's your problem? Why are you still in this place? Why are you still like this? And what it does is that it doesn't make the, 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 the psalmist go towards food to satisfy him or felt need, so to speak, but he goes to God. The whole of this psalm is about the, the psalmist having tears as his food. 
He's longing, longing for God. He's looking for God. These things I remember. And I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and, then, and, and lead them in procession. I mean, I suggest that actually there is one thing that, that prevents us from having hunger, and that is um, when our soul is filled with just satisfying them with snacks, spiritual snacks, and things that only man can give. Second thing that causes our hunger to, to be, to, to be, to be uh, shorn of is hopelessness. Let's have a look at this. Verse 5, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you. It's amazing, isn't it? That the, that the, the psalmist is saying, I am hopeless. But his hopelessness is relieved by the fact that he has a memory of God. It's different from someone who has never had that memory. A person who is hopeless, who has never had an experience of God, never seen God's glory in the sanctuary, that person has to start from scratch. And that person, if you're that person, you've never experienced God, I want to encourage you that even though you're starting from zero, God is there searching after you. In all you're searching for Him, if you've never experienced Him, God is going after you. And if you need prayer, come up, come forward for prayer. We will love to pray for you. Because I, for one, was one of those who never experienced God, even though I was brought up in a religious family. I came up for prayer, and one day, someone prayed for me. And for the first time, I saw, experienced God in my life. But for many of us who are experiencing hope, hopelessness, the psalmist says, therefore I remember. I'm hopeless, therefore I remember. And there's something about having had an experience with God that actually allows us that. Now I'm going to make a huge jump and go to the last point, which will be the last point for today. And we'll talk about this. Verse 6, Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. See, there's a way in which the psalmist is far away from, from the temple. He remembers that the presence of God is the presence of familiar things, the familiar things of well-being, the familiar things that come when the presence of God is there. He's far away from that. He's not in well-being. He's, his, his mouth is parched. He's, he's, he's not only spiritually dry, but he's also physically not in great shape. He's far away. And he remembers not only the presence of God, but the things that surround the presence of God, the goodness, the well-being of God. They all come together. You can't separate the two, the two together. You cannot say that God is not a God of prosperity. He is a God of prosperity because He prospers us, but not in such a way that we idolize, idolize that prosperity. There's a way in which He's longing for the physical as well as the inner, inner reality of the, of the presence of God. And He's searching and He's searching. And you can pray and you can do with all the passion in your heart and the intensity of calling out to God. You can call and call and call and call. And what it does is that as you pray, that God begins to lift us up. Lift us up, lift us up, lift us up. And passion does that. I want to welcome you to not give up, but to continue to pray. Even though it means coming for daily prayer every day or as much as you can. Just pray and pray and pray with all your heart, right? Point your nose towards, point your neck towards God with everything that's in you. But there comes a time in which you will have to, you will have to find that even that will take you only so far. And the psalmist comes to a point, point where he, the two rivers come together and they meet at the Jordan. And as, and as he comes in, to the Jordan, he comes to a place in which he's drowning in the water. And as he's drowning, he says that deep, even as the sound of the water spouts, water spouts comes, he's out of control. He's in the river and he's dying because he can't control the, the flow of the river. And, he's, and in that place... 
something more than his passion takes over. Something more than the earnestness of his prayer takes over. Something of death begins to take over. He's out of control. His prayer is not going to be enough. His ardor, his passion and all that is not enough. His emotion is not enough. His seriousness with God is not enough. His religion is not enough. He is actually out of control. He is drowning. And I tell you, there's something that God does in us to establish not just a passion for Him, but establish a closeness, a deep a depth in Him. And that happens when He says, in the midst of this, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I, no prayer can control it. No religion can, no words, no smartness, no talent, no help can, can control it. I am lost. And I found that for people who really come into a closer uh, relationship, they go through this, you know. And if you're going through this in which you're all out of control, my life is out of control, my job is out of control, my boss is out of control, everything's out of control, and I cannot overcome him. I cannot overcome that thing. I cannot overcome the forces that are around me. I am out of control. And there's no special powerful prayer that I can pray. Nobody who can help me. You had to release yourself to God. And if God doesn't do anything, you're dead. That is the place where the psalmist is speaking. He says, and in this place, deep will call to the deep. He finds himself calling out to God, not out of his passion, not out of his heart praying, not of his, out of his ardor, but he found that with a deep place of death, of out of controlness, has unbeknownst to him carved out a space in his heart that he did not know was there. And when, from the depth of where he is, he finds himself, not even as a matter of emotion, he calls out to God. And the pitch of his prayer goes in deep. That's why it means deep calls to the deep. It's not emotional. You don't know it's even there. You're not even aware of it. But you went through something that killed you. You went through something that made you out of control and everybody was against you. And from that place, you were just praying. You were just praying in the Spirit, not knowing what was going on. But then when you prayed and you called out, there was something about the call that you made that sounded the same as everybody else's prayer, but there was a deeper place in which when you called, God answered, and you felt His answer, and somehow what came into your consciousness and all that was something deep, something real, something powerful, and did a work. I was in a situation in which I was in that, in that, in that <laughs> earlier story with my 11 colleagues praying, and what happened was this. All my fears were tr uh, transpired when I finished praying, finished preaching. You see, it's one thing to preach and preach words that are logical, that are convincing and all that. But at the end of the day, when you finish your prayer, you close in prayer and you say, now all of you who have sicknesses or who have diseases, come up, we'll pray for you and God will do something. I tried to postpone that time. So I preached a long, long time so that I would not have to come to the place where I knew after, after preaching, I had to start praying for the sick. And I found that finally people were getting antsy and I closed in prayer. I said, okay, and this is the part that I really dreaded and I was totally out of control. Come up for prayer if you want to receive Jesus as your, as your personal savior. And, and I want to say this really fast. If you've got sickness, come and we pray for you as well. And a whole crowd came out. And I thought, in, in Cantonese, say for, which means my light is dead. My light is dead. Say for. Uh. And they came up, and I started praying, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. And I got more and more nervous, and my throat began to be so dry, just like the deer. Where are you, Lord? Where is your God? And I could he feel resonating in my heart. Where is your God? Where is your God? We just put up a banner. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus delivers and all that. And he wasn't doing it. 
And I came to a point where I was felt so sick. I asked the others, the prime ministers, just keep praying. I went into the toilet and I vomited. Drank water and I came out. And I just could not do anything but to carry on. I was dead. I was calling out to God, and the calling out didn't feel any anointed, any anointing. And then, after I prayed for about 10 people, suddenly healings began to take place. Miracles started happening. People began to fall under the power of God. And things like happened. I went back to all those people who I prayed for, and nothing happened. And the same thing happened to them as well. The prayer felt exactly the same. I just didn't know that deep was calling to the deep. Does that make sense? We come to a point where when God actually does the work, it is not just because we have passion, but because of the fact that we died. And when that happens, God shows up. Amen? Let us pray. Hallelujah. Just lift up, lift up your hearts to Him. Take any position of your body that would uh, um, uh, accommodate that. He is here. Jacob longed for God. And when he was dead tired, completely flat on his back, God appeared to him like he always was there. And he says, I'm in the house of God and I didn't even know it. Praise God. Michael, this word is so amazing. I just want to say as we're praying right now, because in the 70s, the charismatic movement was moving here in America as well. And I remember at the age of 13 or 14, and some of you may be here right Mm -hmm, now like mm -hmm. this, Mm -hmm. when I, as a Catholic, was to be confirmed. And this is when you meet the Holy Spirit. And I came up. I didn't know what was going on. I did not understand who the Holy Spirit was. I kissed the bishop's ring, and I walked over to the room where the priests get changed. And I broke down and cried because it was missing. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit was missing from me and from most of my church. So I'm here to say today, God was getting me ready. Because the charismatic movement was beginning to move. And so if there's anyone here today that all you can feel is the hunger and you cry all week, Pentecost is coming. I don't know if it's next Sunday for us. I don't know when, but it is coming at the right time. And so I just bless you, God. I thank you. It wasn't just for Malaysia and third world countries. It's for us too. Amen. It's for California. It's for Nineveh. It's for places, God, which are setting up for infanticide. It's for us too, God. So we cry to you. Yes, Lord. Amen. The deep is so deep. And for some of us, God, we've never had it filled. So we ask you, we say out to you in the presence of our enemies that you fill it. Yes, Lord. You can fill it. Thank you, God. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill me up, and make me whole. We invite you, Lord, Holy Spirit, to come and break down every barrier. Clean out all our lack of hunger, because we've been surfeited by other junk food. And we call to you, Lord. We say, you are our only one, only hope. And we ask you that even now, even as we give our lives to you, Lord, you empty us out of everything else. We welcome you. Just go ahead and just lift up your hands. Lift up, open your hands up to him. Even as you do that, without you even feeling anything, the Holy Spirit is beyond our feelings, beyond our emotions. Beyond our body, and he fills. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. You not only put into us in of yourself, but you will change our desires. Clean, cleanse us, Lord, from any kind of demonic desires. Cleanse us from 
places in which sex has taken an inordinate and sinful place. Pornography, sexual addictions, addictions of all sorts, in Jesus' name. Unforgiveness, places in which memories of sins or past things have done has filled up our minds, guilt, shame. We give them to you right now. We thank you that on the cross 2,000 years ago, you cleansed us. You died for them and laid it upon yourself, laid these things upon yourself. We thank you, Lord. The Holy Spirit has come to make him real. And so we welcome you, and we welcome you to fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to invite you to just, during the time of um, soaking, to just stay because as long as you are able to stay in the presence of God be, with your neck stretched out to Him, He is filling you instantly, even before you ask. And so, Lord, we give ourselves to You, Lord. We want You. We want You more than anything else. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. God bless you.